I'm really happy to have you here. It's always a pleasure to um, talk with people who are so experienced in the tech. And you are super experienced, I would say, because you have the EY background, so the business background, and currently you're connecting the role of the CTO, CPO. For many years, you work on the eBay. Uh, the, uh, so like one of the, I think the biggest marketplaces in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in Germany. Now you are involved in Mobile and while I was living in Germany, it was like huge thing. So if you look for a car, you, you know the website um, and you made so many different things. So I'm just wondering after so many experiences, what is the next role for you? Yeah, I, I actually uh, stopped thinking about the next role. Uh, it's more uh, trying to live in the here and now. Uh, a little bit. Um, I think it's more additions to the role. Um, I think, as you stated, uh, I gained a lot of experience through consulting, through my uh, current role in, in Mobile and and uh, being happy about delivering valuable products uh, to millions of users every month. So it's more looking into what of this experience and knowledge can I give back to the community? Uh, maybe this is also one reason uh, while we're talking here. Um, so uh, I'm thinking about uh, advisory roles, for example, um, to really help uh, also early stage startups uh, in a way in, in growing faster or uh, trying to prevent from making the same mistakes over and over again that we did in the past. Um, so I'm looking into advisory roles, but at the same time, there are just so many things that are still uh, worthwhile to do in Mobile. Um, I mean, there's a lot of change in the automotive industry. Uh, only looking at electric vehicles, the whole change to greener mobility, all the uncertainties that are out there in that space, but also other changes like um, people actually trying to buy cars fully online, uh, mm. where the car industry was kind of... Um, the last resort where actually people uh, went to the dealership and uh, did a test drive and so on. But you see this um, kind of de-emotionalization of cars a little bit, also in Germany, where this is a, a real big thing, um, where people tend to uh, subscribe to cars um, or uh, basically buy online. And this is introducing another level of um, complexity that we try to make simple. Uh, as a platform. So let's talk about the mobile. Uh, the, uh, I'm just wondering what is your current uh, team structure? In-house, outsource, how do you structure it? Yeah, um, we have a mix of in-house and external. Um, so uh, Product Tech and Mobile is roughly 350, 400 people. Um, the majority is still internal. Um, and I think there needs to be a healthy mix in that. Um, if you lean into something too much, uh, you will see the downsides quite heavily. Um, so when we work with externals, it's uh, mainly to speed things up um, when we scale up new businesses or um, if we decide that a certain product is maybe uh, nothing we want to have as the core of our business anymore and kind of phase it out a little bit um, that we hand it over um, to external parties to, to run it uh, in a way for us. Um, 
but uh, what we want um, to avoid is um, kind of being too dependent on external parties when it comes to core aspects of our business because this is not healthy uh, and yeah. a risk in itself. Um, um, so we believe in, in, in managing that quite consciously. Um, at the same time, um, external parties, and this is, I think, the, the second aspect of it, do bring in new ideas, uh, new energies to teams. So we see it as a valuable addition to our teams, um, also bringing in subject matter experts uh, in certain fields to actually um, immerse ourselves with this knowledge. Uh, where it's maybe harder to hire someone um, if you then have this lone fighter in your in your organization, um, where then the question will become: How do you develop these these people functionally? Um, how can they grow also in terms of career if they're maybe the only person doing uh, doing a certain thing? Um, so that's where excellence come in. Um, a strong belief we have is excellence shouldn't be just uh, treated as, yeah, this is a separate team and they don't really belong to us. For us, externals are actually part, a real part of our teams, of the rituals and so on, um, so that they really understand like what is our business direction, uh, how we're working, how we're dealing with, with stuff, also our culture. Um, to um, to really have this belonging uh, kind of thinking in there. Okay, and regarding the team structure and what you said, I'm just wondering who is your partner in crime, with whom you work the most? Yeah, um, so maybe there are two or three answers to that. Um, uh, I'm as I'm leading product and technology in Mobile. Um, so my teams are basically product in the sense of product managers, head of products, then technology, um, all the engineers, data engineers, data scientists, and so on. And then it's also UX and in my case, also organizational development, which is kind of a special case uh, in a way. Um, so the people I'm working most with is my direct team, uh, that consists of head of technologies, head of product, head of UX, um, head of data. Um, and uh, we work kind of in in an org structure that is based on the customer journey, uh, then structured in crews and teams. Um, so maybe different naming for a couple of things, but uh, you may see some similarities uh, to other companies out there um, who published a little bit uh, about that. Um, so we believe in autonomous teams, end-to-end -end accountability uh, and ownership for certain parts of the customer journey, a certain domain, um, and in true cross-functional work. And this doesn't end with product and tech. Uh, it's really like, if you look at the consumer upper funnel, uh, you will have marketing in there, you will have uh, analysts in there and so on to really understand like user acquisition, user retention, and these kind of things. Um, so that's the first part of the answer. The second part of the answer, uh, I'm part of the mobile management team, uh, which uh, then is basically overlooking the company holistically. And uh, when it comes to that, my uh, biggest partner in crime is 
potentially the COO, so the chief mm. operating officer, um, where it's really talking about what are the priorities, what is the strategy of our business and subsequently of our products. Um, so um, uh, he's called Jochen, I'm called David, and we get this uh, cool mixed up name, Jovid, uh, when we are uh, together on stage. So I think that says a lot. <laughs> That's uh, that's a great answer. Um, uh, and and regarding the the challenges that you are having, this uh, combining the CPO and CPO, I I seen this is kind of like getting really popular. So you have this concept of CTPO, and I'm wondering in your case, what are the biggest challenges that you face uh, being in this role? Yeah, next to being asked the question about a CPTO or CTO and CPO, uh, which is always nice. Um, and uh, answering that shortly, uh, I think there's a good time for a CPTO and a good context for a CPTO. And there's also a good time maturity of a company and context for having both worlds uh, separately. Um, so there's no right or wrong there, I guess. In looking at challenges in my role um i think um one of the biggest evergreens is how do you actually balance creating user value and uh putting in time and functional excellence or reducing technical debt uh, however you wanna uh, you wanna call it um and that's not easy and in a way it really comes together where product and tech meet um so it comes together in this kind of wall uh in a way and you put, can put rules around that uh but then still it's not that uh it's like uh a thing that just solves itself right um and i guess the uh second aspect is um and maybe also an evergreen Uh, it's creating the organization and the processes and the environment um, to actually enable productive work. Uh, and uh, if I'm thinking about like what's actually um, my role in this organization, it's basically that together with mm -hmm. my team. Um, and maybe last comment on that. Uh, and. I think that it's nothing that is reserved for the CPT overall, uh, but for every C-level role in a way, or every leadership role, actually. Um, and one mentor of me put it uh, quite nicely. Um, he said, uh, as a leader, you need to decide the undecidable. Um, and this will always be a challenge to do that. Hmm. That's, a, that's a good good answer. Um, and I have one common problem, I, I, as I mentioned to you before, uh, I talked with my colleague who's CP, uh, CPO and he, he asked me like, could you ask David this question? <laughs> and I just wanted to ask you because I think it's a huge challenge, especially in, in your role too. So how do you decide and what is it like maybe the process behind it? Do you, uh, if you want to build the feature or do you they need to terminate the feature because sometimes you have the features that needs to be terminated. Like what is the decision-making process behind it? Yeah. Um, and as history shows, uh, it's uh, always easier uh, to start building stuff than to say goodbye to stuff. Um, so maybe that as a first comment. Um, 
Um, building stuff is quite straightforward. Um, I mean, a lot of companies evolved around the ideas of uh, business cases um, to actually start something big and new, like looking at starting from, hey, there's a user problem. We kind of are in a position to actually tackle that problem and we have ideas how you can solve it with a digital product uh, in a way. And then, of course, uh, you ask yourself the questions like uh, how big uh, is the audience? Uh, how uh, confident are you that you can solve the problem? And is there actually um, uh, also a good business reason to do it, right? Um, because what we do is actually we want to uh, solve uh, user problems or customer problems. Um, and by that, also having a sustainable business. Um, so that's kind of straightforward because uh, everybody knows there are different metrics you can use for that. Um, we know how to measure a successful business. At least uh, there is uh, measures that are used worldwide uh, for that. But when it comes to terminating products, um, it's for me a lot more emotional also from an organizational perspective, I mean, people invested potentially years of their professional life building a certain product or product suite. Um, and, uh, and it really needs a lot of diligence um, to actually ask the question, should we actually stop a product? Um, and um, I think there are a couple of signals or indicators uh, that you can use. Um, I talked about a little bit of functional excellence, technical depth, and so on. And if your team doesn't grow uh, every year, uh, you will uh, kind of experience that when you build and build and build new products and features, uh, the complexity of the platform grows, the artifact ownership per person or per team is increasing, which kind of sends a couple of small signals uh, you should listen to. Um, so if your product development lifecycle is not also looking at terminating products, um, you will see effects of that in terms of platform health and so on. Um, so we do not have like um, a review cycle where we look through all of our products on a quarterly or yearly basis. That's not worth reviewing. Um, but everyone is free to kind of come up with, hey, this piece of product, uh, there's not so much business value anymore. Can we please look at how much effort it is to actually keeping it afloat in a way? Um, and uh, these kinds kind of conversations we have for a couple of products each year, uh, where we then decide like, what's the right way to go forward with that? Because uh, at the end of the product development lifecycle, it doesn't necessarily need to be you just shut it down. Um, and sometimes you have legal obligations to have a product for a certain period of time because you handed out contracts for it. Um, so this plays a role. And then also uh, maybe it's a conscious decision to evolve the product or refactor the product in a way to make it relevant again, right? Um, so that's kind of the basic thinking. And 
let's discuss a bit more the market trends and how do you approach following the market trends because what you said about the EVs this is now the hot topic uh, and I have a feeling based on my experience as a leader you always look how you could lead people better how you can help them to communicate and deliver the value but on the another on the other hand you're trying to help those guys and find the right trends and like uh, set up the long-term strategy based on your market research and based, I don't know, on the market trends that are there. And I'm just wondering, how do you approach it? Maybe you read something, maybe you go to some conferences that are really important for, for yourself. Um, what is your what is your process here? Yeah, that's maybe the one challenge I forgot uh, on your question earlier. Uh, the constant learning aspect um, in a world where your day job uh takes a little bit of time and then your family friends hobbies hopefully hobbies um uh so um it's also it's not only the question of uh are you still willing to learn but it's also a question of being efficient uh around that um so for me it's really trying to combine a couple of things um I'm active part of a couple of CTO groups, um, so getting insights and knowledge from from these other leaders in the industry. Um, throughout my whole career, um, I had mentors and coaches um, to actually have someone to talk to uh, about certain yeah. things. Um, and then it's also learning through podcasts and books, in my case, more audio audiobooks. Um, and I touched on being efficient around that. Um, usually, uh, I listen to podcasts and audiobooks while commuting on my bike, um, mm. or while training, basically, uh, running, biking, uh, it's a little bit harder in swimming, but, uh, <laughs> you can also do that. Um, and then, um, I have a couple of newsletters. Uh, I read like, uh, TLDR and these kind of mm. things, um, to at least, um, understand like what are the key themes out there and then dig deeper uh, if I feel um, that's valuable uh, mm -hmm. in the end. Um, but uh, this is still one of the biggest challenge, especially if you if you kind of, um, as a profile, I consider myself a generalist. Uh, mm -hmm. It's technology, it's product, it's general management uh, in a lot of uh, ways. Um, so there are just a lot of topics that you could mm. lose yourself into, uh, basically. Um, so it's really also a question of uh, how deep um, do you go into certain things. Like, uh, um, And then lastly, it's um, also by visiting conferences. Um, and it spans from uh, automotive conferences to kind of uh, tech uh, gatherings and so on. Um, so really meeting a lot of people. And I think like especially in um, uh, area like of the, the, the new market, especially in a tech, I, I see there's a lot of like uh, new tools each day, new libraries. Uh, new approaches to build the products and it's really tempting and it's really hard to decide like should we go this way or should we like rewrite our product and I'm just wondering how do you 
identified and decide on your tools because I because those influence the whole teams, right? It's like you have a huge a huge team, and I could imagine, like based on my experience, that that the developers, for instance, they are going with like uh, a bunch of new different things each day, and I say like, hey, we should go this way, but at the same point, you need to make the decision, and probably uh, it's really tough to find yourself within all those tools. Um, so how do you decide if you go this way or that way uh, regarding the new tools that influence the whole teams? Yeah, that's the beauty of a kind of big organization uh, in a way. Uh, so you don't have to do this all on your own. Um, so um, for collaboration tools, I touched upon uh, the organizational development team. So a lot of uh, these kind of uh, insights come from them. Um, and usually we do one tests uh, with a small user group first, trying to figure out, like, does it really fit our needs? Uh, is it um, really better than the tools we used so far? Um, and also for developer experience, um, we have a platform team figuring some of the things out. Um, we're part of a bigger portfolio of companies. So you also have like Adavinta, our parent company, um, defining kind of a golden path and parts of the develop ex developer experience um, where they really um, also gather insights from all the portfolio companies, like what worked, what didn't work so well um, to kind of um, not find the perfect solution because I think there is no perfect, um, especially if you have like a diverse set of, um, of companies and needs. Um, but actually trying to gather um, this insight and then test, evaluate, and, and, and bring it to the people. And um, for, for Mobile, um, we uh, also run innovation days uh, once a quarter for three to four days where basically people are free to just test things out. Um, and this is, uh, this is um, kind of interesting because a lot of um, the things that are done there I would say like 60% of the things are really like trying to build new product ideas, um, MVPs, trying to test something out. The other part is, is about developer experience and tools and new frameworks, like figuring out, could this be something we should pick up in a way? And uh, when it comes to additions to our tech stack, then obviously this goes through like uh, architect architecture decision records to actually put it on our tech radar and adopt it. Um, but the innovation days are really like this safe space in a way uh, to really test like, is there a reason to adapt certain things? Are there any tools, trends, ideas or concepts that you are really passionate about recently and you are, you know, getting in, uh, into the detail of it? I mean, uh, uh, it's it's potentially not only me. Uh, it's the whole world right now, right? Um, uh, it's uh, I mean, the 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 opportunities and challenges with AI mm. is uh, what has been the uh, dominant theme for the last couple of innovation days, actually. Um, and uh, I mean, it's it's a lot of playing with the opportunities and trying to understand like where does it actually at user value because i think there are a lot of st st things out there that are done for the purpose of doing stuff with ai uh, right now uh, not too much that is actually providing sustainable user value 
Um, and I think finding this sweet spot uh, where it's actually helpful and how do you uh, productionize it in a way um, is where a lot of our attention is in those innovation days. And the next one is actually early December. Uh, so mm. really looking forward to that. How, how often do you do, do those? Uh, quarterly. Quarterly. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. And uh, I have another question that I wanted to ask you about like organizing the, 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 the teams and maybe you could have some advices or tips for other leaders. Uh, how do you successfully deliver the product? And especially in the teams that are so like you have in-house, you have outsource, maybe you have different time zones. Uh, some of people are remote. I don't know, do you have any advices or tips what worked uh, in your case uh, in such a highly distributed teams to make the delivery of the product successful? Yeah, um, I mean, uh, the good thing for Mobile is um, we're kind of um, all um, located in roughly the same time zone. Um, so a lot of our uh, people are located in Germany, especially like all the people that are working internally for us are located in Germany. Um, um, so that's fairly easy in terms of time zone. Um, but um, we're not a real office first company anymore. Uh, I mean, there was this major incident worldwide um, that mm -hmm. led to us being a remote company for quite some time. Um, now we're back with uh, at least the office option, I would say. Um, and uh, But we are holding that quite flexibly. Um, so there's no, um, no pressure for you to be in the office, for example. Uh, I think our policy says something like uh, a minimum of four days a quarter Uh, or something mm. you need to be in the office and nobody checks um so that's uh that's kind of the policy right now um but what we're saying as mobile uh is hey we want to have these moments um the moments where teams come together we because we believe that um magic happens when actually people come together to create mm. stuff um so innovation days uh is a good example where we try to kind of also provide a couple of things that make people come to the office and do magic. Um, and it's um, the, the, these moments are of course, best case celebrations and stuff like that. Um, or when it comes to um, creative work, um, like people in the room, whiteboarding, uh, trying to figure out something. Um, and the last aspect that is um, pretty important uh, from my point of view is um, that you as a leader for your team reflect like are we maybe a team that is in the forming or storming phase uh, because there I believe like coming together as a team and doesn't necessarily have to be in the office um, is worthwhile to actually come to this performing stage at, at a, a certain point um, and uh, for us that works quite well if the reflection is there and the teams really understand like where they're at, uh, I think uh, that that uh, works quite well. Um, and for working with externals, uh, as I said before, it's really um, making them part of the rituals, making them part of the teams um, to uh, to actually have them experience exactly the same. Um, and that 
uh, works quite well. Um, and then, uh, of course, we're working with a couple of, um, of partners, uh, more like in a nearshoring space, for example, um, where it's not so easy to just meet in person uh, tomorrow, maybe. Um, and um, I think the one learning also, and also that is basically true in every hybrid or remote setup is um, the um, additional investment you need to do in proper communication uh, can't be overestimated. Um, so it's really a lot you need to do additionally. And it doesn't really, like communication doesn't end when you just put a post somewhere in the Slack channel with 400 people. Um, you will see it in the reactions, not 400 people re will read it. Um, so um, kind of uh, transporting strategy or transporting a key decision is not done by just one post in a Slack channel. Uh, it really takes more. Um, and it takes more effort than uh, in the office days. Mm. The over communication is the key, I think, in this yeah. case, right? Yeah, so you, you think you think it's already clear, but it's not. You need to do it in a couple different ways, uh, maybe in different meetings on a different occasion. So um, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and David, based on your experience, I'm just wondering, and I'm asking like each of our guests about the most important lessons learned that you have had, uh, had as a technology or the product leader that changed maybe something that changed your mindset or some, some lessons learned here, if you could share something like that. Yeah, uh, I think there are a couple there. Uh, and uh, I, I think we could spend like two days talking about this question. <laughs> Uh, I think on on my leadership journey, uh, one of the hardest things was getting used to delegating, uh, and I think I'm not alone with that. Uh, but when you're coming from from roles and positions where you did a lot yourself, um, and we're also confident about doing things yourself, um, then it uh, feels kind of strange. Uh, in a way to kind of delegate and uh, kind of uh, lose your grip uh, a little bit. Um, and I think uh, for me, it, it needed that moment uh, in a way where I couldn't handle anymore doing all the things myself. Um, mm. So uh, really learning it and also experience like people will do things much better than I did. Um, so uh, that's great. Um, and now I'm fortunate enough to have a team where uh, where I can uh, where I can delegate freely and uh, and it's it's also a matter of trust of knowing each other and so on. So um, that's that's great. Um, the other piece and that's this in a way is it's two pieces connected in a way. Um, when I uh, became CPTO, um, another mentor uh, said to me, um, uh, yeah, get used to uh, not seeing the impact of your work uh, anymore, like directly. Uh, it will mm -hmm. take months, years mm -hmm. for you to actually realize if something worked well <laughs> or did not. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, this uh, kind of self-efficiency that you actually see I'm doing that and this is the impact of that uh, when it's so diluted and so far away 
um, it can have the effect that you question if you actually have impact at all. Mm. And then we're talking about our friend, the imposter syndrome, uh, in a way. Mm. Um, so um, that's real, um, especially like giving your in a more or less generalist uh, type of role. Um, the impact of your actions can't be really measured uh, mm. in the day to day. Um, and then uh, you really ask yourself the question, like, what the heck am I doing here? I like that. Is, is it really valuable? Um, and uh, I think one big realization over time was you're not alone with asking these questions. Mm. I talked to so many leaders um, and basically everyone experienced these kind of, um, uh, these kind of phases where you really doubt like, Mm. really having an impact what i'm doing uh and uh also like uh, can i actually do something do i know something and these kind of things um i think that's uh normal in a way but normal doesn't mean that it's always easy to deal with mm. man i I cannot agree more with that. So it's so hard to get any kind of gratification. And in most cases, at those high leadership roles, you get you are getting heated about so many problems and nobody is saying like, great job. And like mostly you are heated by the problems. Um, so plus the long-term vision that you have and to have some kind of like idea about it. Yeah, yeah I, I fully agree with that. It's so, it's so difficult. Um, it's so difficult. Um, and the last question that I wanted to ask you, because you mentioned the audiobooks, you mentioned some conferences, uh, some podcasts, uh, maybe was there something particular helpful for you, or maybe you could share some podcasts that, or audiobooks that you are listening and uh, listened to recently. It would be great. Yeah, sure. Um, I think the, there's also one evergreen, uh, I always, uh, uh, I always mention, uh, in these kind of questions. Uh, coming from having been in different roles in global organizations, uh, I think uh, the Culture Map uh, by Aaron Meyer is uh, is a foundation everyone uh, should have uh, read uh, in a way. Um, so it's really um, trying to make you understand that the way you function, the way uh, you've been growing up and uh, you've been accustomed to in, in dealing with people and with conversations and so on is not the way everyone else in the world is 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 is, uh, is growing up to um, and uh, on the website there's also a cool test where you can uh, where you can basically test yourself and uh, see like what kind of communication profile you have and and these kind of things so I've, I found it really helpful to also understand why uh, you've been perceived in a, in a, in a, in a way uh, and, and uh, how certain interactions work or may not work um, uh, in global organizations. Um, and then uh, uh, lately I've been reading the diary of a CEO. Um, uh, not that I want to become CEO uh, today or tomorrow, but um, uh, I think the subtitle is something like uh, Laws of Business and Life. Um, and it's taking you through uh, 
I think 30, 40, 50 kind of rules or, uh, or laws um, that are true for life and for business and, uh, and making you hopefully a better leader, uh, if you understand them. And there were a couple of refreshing things in there uh, that I liked. And the last one, maybe um, a totally different uh, category of book, um, The Limit is Just Me, uh, from Jonas Deichmann. Um, he's a uh, adventure, uh, extreme uh, sports person. Um, and um, I mean, I'm consider considering myself sporty. Uh, I did marathons, I did an Ironman and these kind of things. But this guy did an Ironman around the world. So 120 times the swimming leg, then 120 times the bike leg through Siberia and so on. And then 120 times marathon uh, through Mexico in consecutive days, all of that, right? Um, in the pandemic. <laughs> and this book is about his journey. Uh, you can also watch it on Netflix. That's easy, easier. Um, but it's uh, really, and it still can teach you a lot uh, about stuff. Um, like when it comes to having this project, Ironman around the world, it's too big to grasp, actually. And he's talking a lot like what are the mental models uh, you actually need to make it still work if you cycle a day in minus 35 degrees through Siberia um, with frozen foods and stuff like that, right? Um, and uh, I think it just gives a different uh, uh, perspective on a lot of things. Um, and also, even if uh, maybe this does not sound um, uh, like fun all the time, um, he's really much about, yes, but this is what I want to do. And this is why it's best to be here in this moment, even if this moment right now is a little bit uh, interesting. Um, and I really like to get exposed to these kind of mental models and thinking. Well, nice one. I, I will check it out for sure. Uh, I think the sports is really helpful uh, in running the business or being a leader. It's like to have the sport, it's, um, and, and to have the, the sport that you like and you do a lot, it's really helpful for your mind. Um, so this, uh, I'll, I'll check it out. Um, so cool. David, thanks. So, thank you so much for uh, all those insights and really interesting conversation. I really appreciate your time and that you have shared all of that here. Um, thank you for, for everything. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Follow Matt on LinkedIn and subscribe to the better tech leadership newsletter.